You're listening to the 12 Days of Christmas. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are taking a look at Christmas hymns with Benjamin Kologi. He's a member of Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas, professional church organist and composer and contributor to the Lutheran service book, Hymnal Companion. Benjamin, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Andy. We are going to take a look at another Christmas hymn today, and this is certainly one of my favorites. I mm-hmm. I did not pick out the hymns for this list, but you picked out my favorites. So thanks for <laughs> picking out it. some of my favorites. Come Your Hearts and Voices Raising, which is, I believe, 375, 375 in Lutheran Service Book. Is that right? 375, right. Exactly. Yeah, this is one of my favorite too. And again, you can see if you have your hymnal in front of you, this comes from the pen of Paul Gerhardt, that great 17th century Lutheran hymn writer. And he was able to personalize theology. I, I think it is whereby it can saturate your own, one's own heart. I can't think of a better word for it, you know, mm-hmm. but, but but this is one of the quintessential Christmas hymns. And before I talk about it, I, I just have to acknowledge that my starting point for some of the, these hymns has been a CPH's Lutheran service book, Companion to the Hymns. These are really hefty, two volumes, but they represent the culmination of years of hymnological scholarship. And I own and have consulted many hymnal companions, but this one is by far one of the most painstakingly researched. Um, The Synod had uh, pastors, scholars, and church musicians all contribute to the hymnal companion, and I, I wrote for them too, as you've mentioned. But I point that out just to say that some of what I'm going to say about this hymn, I'm I'm deeply in, in to Pastor Jacob Sutton's excellent entry about this hymn in the hymnal companion. So if you don't have the hymnal companion, it's kind of expensive. Maybe your your church can have it for the library or something. But it's it's a great it's it's a great hymnological work. So I I, I, refer, I looked in there and Pastor Sutton has this, he, he talks about this hymn in a very appropriate way. He, he says, when talking about this hymn, Come Your Hearts and Voices Raising, he quotes Chris, Christian Buners, a Gerhard biographer, who evaluates the genius of Gerhard and his contemporaries, saying of their hymnody that such singing allows something to be seen. Singing allows something to be seen. And this hymn has plenty of vivid imagery, which allows us to envision in our mind that first Christmas Eve. We can see it in color almost. So we're called to action by this first word, aren't we? It's come. We're called to raise our hearts and voices in gladness, loudly singing, is love amazing. <laughs> this is a lot of action to do in the first mm-hmm. couple lines. So think of Luke 2, 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. So, of course, we know the shepherds went, and now we, who the hymn calls worthy folk of Christendom, are now called to go. So there's a lot of action already. And in the hymnal companion, Pastor Sutton points out how this hymn reminds him of Psalm 95. The Venite in the liturgy. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Now, I had not thought about it this way, but when you think about it, Psalm 95 really does seem to foreshadow the shepherds and the three wise men as they travel to find and then bow down before Christ the Savior. (laughs) 
And this hymn reminds us of the incarnation. Christ from heaven to us descending, and in love our race befriending, in our need his help extending, saved us from the wily foe. So we know that his incarnation is this part of the divine plan to save us from Satan, which I, I, I love this metaphor, the wily foe. And then stanza three, I think you can say, kind of uses astronomical in- imagery. Jacob's star in all its splendor beams with comfort sweet and tender, forcing Satan to surrender, breaking all the powers of hell. Now, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Numbers 27, 24, 17. I see him, not now, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Reminds you of that great movement by Mendelssohn, too. (laughs) The star star of Bethlehem, of course, leads to the star of Jacob. And the star of Jacob is much more important than the star of Bethlehem, because this star of Jacob can break the powers of hell, in the words of Gerhardt. And so the next two stanzas is found in LSB contrast with one another. From the bondage that oppressed us, from sin's fetters that possessed us, from the grief that sore distressed us, we, the captives, now are free. Now, he, Gerhard is using really e- evocative language here. Listen to these words. Bondage, oppression, fetters, possess, grief, sore, distress. I mean, all of these can be considered metaphors for what sin has done to humanity. But in the last phrase, Grant, Gerhard grants us some relief. We, the captives, now are free. So Gerhard encapsulates the law here, the law that shows us our failures and our sins and holds us in captivity. And he hints at the gospel, but then he fully fleshes it out in this next stanza. Oh, the joy beyond expressing, when by faith we grasp this blessing, and to you we come confessing that your love has set us free. So look how expertly Gerhard has made this contrast. We are now singing of joy beyond expressing, the love that set us free. But it's only through faith that we are able to grasp this blessing and a faith which we know comes from the Holy Spirit. So our joy proceeds then from what God does for us, giving us his son, our savior, but also by extension, sending his Holy Spirit, which we know will come at Pentecost. And I like how the hymns of this era often end with a prayer. We know that these early Latin hymns ended with a doxology so that they could reinforce Doctor the Trinity, which is under assault. The Latin hymns wanted to make sure that we knew that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the, the nature of the Trinity, Christ was not created. He was part of the Trinity. And, and that had been worked out by Gerhard taught Gerhard's time. So Gerhard wasn't as concerned with that particular doctrine in his, his hymn here. But he wanted to frame what he was communicating in such a way, I think, that it would make it easy to understand and could be worked into one's daily living, which a prayer does. And I, I want to be careful to avoid establishing some sort of false dichotomy between head and heart, as though doctrine is somehow solely the domain of the intellect and the heart is feelings. This is quite problematic, and we should not go that direction, because you have to you react emotionally to, the doc, to doctrine, the knowledge of what God has done for us. But in ending this hymn with a prayer, we're, we're saturating our heart with this doctrine. We're imploring Christ to grant us cheer and to lead and be near us. So we pray, gracious child, we pray, oh, hear us from your lowly manger. Cheer us, 
Gently lead us and be near us till we join your choir above. And this stanza bears eschatological overtones. End time is what I mean by eschatology. Gerhardt references, till we join your choir above, which is a subtle reference to eternal life, reminding us that our eternal life is, is that our earthly life, rather, is journey and may be a veil of tears like it was in Gerhardt's own existence. But we ultimately uh, achieve salvation through Christ. And of course, what do we do when we get to heaven? We sing in the choir. And as a parish musician, I really do appreciate this reference. <laughs> and if anybody sings in choir, you know it's a lot of work. Just ask my choirs. They prepare for Christmas or for Easter or for Holy Week, whatever. It can be very stressful. You know, your pew mates can be annoying to you. The tenors can sing wrong notes. You individually work really hard, but then you make a mistake when it really counts. Uh, and and these, this happens to everybody. And these are kind of a consequence of our earthly sinful existence, aren't they? But a choir, and here I mean to a congregation, when they lift their voices in singing, often has moments where everything just comes together and just works. And we're, we're lifted beyond the notes of the, on those pages. We sing with complete freedom and with spirit, but also with understanding. And I don't want to make this seem sacramental here because singing choir is not a sacrament. What I do sometimes think lifting our voices in song is a foretaste of heaven. And I, a community singing with joy kind of has to be. And I think that's what Gerhardt was suggesting here. And perhaps our highest goal should be to get to sing in that heavenly choir. So perhaps even on our earthly travails, this hymn reminds us to raise our hearts and our voices at Christmas in praise to Christ our Savior. Oh, this is also one of my favorite hymns. I love your explanation of all of this. And I have so many memories specifically of this one in my Christmas pageants as a kid. So I'm glad we got to talk about this one today. Thanks so much, Benjamin, for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. You're listening to the 12 Days of Christmas. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. <laughs>